for too many years, environmentalists have tried to convince business just on the money, and we are we have a worse environment for it. Today's Yes leads an organisation that has been a powerful voice for the environment for more than 50 years, and she believes we need to change our approach if we are to get business into the business of good. From Blue Tribe Media, this is the Good Business Podcast, the show where we talk to business leaders, social entrepreneurs and innovators about aligning profit with purpose and how you can make doing good, good for business. Now here's your host, James McGregor. Our guest today is Kelly O'Shaughnessy, who's the CEO of the Australian Conservation Foundation. So the Australian Conservation Foundation is Australia's national environment organisation. They're more than 600,000 members speak out for a world where forests, rivers, people and wildlife thrive. And they truly embody the philosophy that the power of the people is greater than the people in power. Now, Kelly's at the helm of this dedicated movement. Growing up as the daughter of a police officer and a teacher, Kelly learnt early on not to judge people for where they are in life. If they want to do better, she doesn't judge and she sees her role as helping people change. And this applies equally to an individual who wants to make a difference in the world all the way through to the CEO of a billion-dollar resource company. In this episode, we hear about Kelly's upbringing growing up in a fairly tough neighborhood where people had little money but were rich in courage and community spirit and how this shapes what she does today. We also talk about the lessons she has learned in trying to move the dial on big businesses' performance on protecting the environment and what she does today to get businesses to be part of the solution. That's not what you think. So for people who don't know who you are, uh, why don't we start with you introducing yourself and tell us who you are. Well, I suppose I'm not really into isms, but I probably would say I'm an environmentalist uh, and into environmentalism. Um, You know, I love nature, uh, but I love people more, actually. The, The reason why I do what I do is because of the people that I love, I want them to have a safe future. And so I work incredibly hard to make this planet a safe place for the people I love, for the places that I love, for the wildlife that, you know, we all love in Australian. Um, I suppose being an environmental advocate, some might describe me as an inner city latte sipper, um, but I like cappuccinos instead of lattes. And, you know, in reality, I've lived in tough little suburbs out in the country. I've worked on the land. I've worked in the office buildings. I've been someone who hasn't had much money and now someone who's really doing okay for money. And one of the things I know is that what brings us together, what unites us is much greater than what divides us. And um, I want to do more of that. You know, I'm a person who wants to create a better country uh, and um, a better person in myself. And um, I don't know if that gives you a bit of an idea of, of who I am, but that's my answer. That's a good start. So, so, so obviously, as the CEO of the Australian Conservation Foundation, so you, know, you were probably out there speaking at events and talking to lots of people all the time. What's one thing that you think people may not know about you? Well, actually, um, a lot of people think folks like me who work in the environment area, um, you know, all about nature and fell in love with nature when we were little tiny things and went hiking and uh, or skiing or kayaking down rivers, but actually I didn't fall in love with nature until I'd moved to Melbourne, finished university, got a job and discovered this thing called money where I could afford to actually go on a holiday or a hike somewhere. And I was probably closer to my mid-20s when I just found out how beautiful this country is that we live in and how beautiful places are around the world and that they're really worth saving. Yeah. So if you could describe your superpower, what would it be? (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
Hard question. I don't know if this is a superpower, but I really don't get mesmerised by complexity of the situations in front of us. So I, I kind of naturally see through problems and see into the future. Um, and um, I've always had that skill for some reason. There's a bit of a downside to that as well because I always need to surround myself with people who do see the complexity and that do have a very logical way through problems. But I think it's really powerful for people to see beyond the problems because too many of us stop doing what we're doing because it's hard and I don't get too afraid by things that are hard. Yeah, great. That's a, a very good superpower, I think, to have, um, particularly in the space you're in. Um, so t- t- tell us a little bit, yeah, a lot of people probably listening will, will know of the Australian Conservation Found- Foundation, but perhaps give us a little bit of background. Yeah, what, is, what is it? What does it do? Well, the ACF is Australia's national environment organisation, and we advocate for a world where our rivers and people and wildlife and forests all thrive. So a place where all living things can live well together. We're 600,000 people strong uh, and we're essentially advocates for nature. So we speak up, we used evidence-based solutions to fix the problems that are facing our beautiful planet, our country, our communities, our businesses, our economy. Uh, And we are pretty courageous. So we do ask for pretty big things where they're always backed up in evidence, but it's those big changes that we now need to solve the climate and extinction crisis that our country is facing and that our world is facing. Uh, And we believe a better future is absolutely possible. Um, but we need to create big change in order to get there, and we're the people who speak up for that big change. Right. So, so now I want to go back a little bit in time because uh, yeah, it's one of the things that we find in talking to various guests on this show is that um, there's usually something in the background that's triggered an event um, that sort of makes you want to make the world a better place. So, and you alluded to before, yeah, you had a not necessarily a privileged upbringing. So, could you maybe take us back in a little bit of time and give us a, you know, where do, where do you think this passion comes from? Uh, you're obviously very passionate about what you do. You know, what, what's driving that in the background? There's probably two big moments that I can think of. And one was when I was a little kid, you know, I was eight or nine. We were living in this suburb called Corio in the Housing Commission developments there. And there's a bit of a rough suburb. It still is a bit of a rough suburb, but incredibly beautiful and generous people that live in there, including my family. Um, But there was, you know, it was a bit of a tough area to live in. There was a bit of crime. There still is. My dad was the local policeman. My mum was the local school teacher. And what I saw them do was to help the next door neighbours' kids out when they needed a little bit more education, help them with their homework. And then dad, you know, he was the person where people would come to and ask for advice. And I remember one Saturday, a bloke came to our door and he'd done something um, bad and he needed to go to the police to own up for it. And he asked my father, would he go with him? And my dad didn't judge. He just said, yeah, mate, I'll go with you. And they went and owned up and, uh, you know, they went there through legal proceedings. But I learned at that time that my parents are contributing back to greater good and no one's perfect and they're willing to take people from where they are today and if they want to improve their lives um, or be better at something then they're willing to help them and I loved that and then the second big thing was I was 13 and we'd moved out of the country by then and we were living in a caravan because we were building our own house and dad being a policeman and mum being a teacher none of them being builders meant that we lived in this caravan for quite a number of years and one summer it didn't rain And I remember we were really struggling for water. We had to cart water in uh, to our um, caravan for drinking, but also out in the paddocks were dry. And I remember seeing my pony, Cindy. Um, She was standing in the paddock 
and she just had her head down. She wasn't doing anything because there was no grass to eat and we had to cart water and food in for her. And that was after one year of drought. And I just thought, looking at her, we are so dependent on this planet. And in just one year of not raining, we as living things um, can't support ourselves. So humans can because we have access to water elsewhere, but we had to look after the, the animals. And it made me think about being an environmentalist and um, speaking up for this planet. And under, But I came to it from a, a viewpoint of how we are dependent on the planet, not necessarily from the viewpoint of how beautiful it is, which I came to later. So those two big moments made me realise that I want to do something for the greater good and I would like to that greater good to be in the area of, of nature because we are all so dependent on it. So, so you mentioned earlier that you know, you, whilst you love nature, but you also love working with people because I think you know, seeing guess your father as probably you know, a senior figure within that community of you know he was someone that people trusted, uh, and if your mother was a school teacher and how you know not judging and being able to work with people through the circumstances they've got. How how did that shape? Do you think the way you go about your leadership role now as CEO of the Australian Conservation Foundation? I really try and I want a lot of people to come into organisations like ACF and feel like they can come into the community and speak up for nature. I don't want it to be the latte sippers or the Chardonnay sippers um, or feel like that's the only type of people can come in here. I want everyone from all walks of life to feel like they can come in and be part of the community because we have a strong connecting value, which is a love of nature and a love of people, and we are all dependent on nature. So since I've been in the environment world, I've actually worked in business, government and non-profit. But since I've been in the non-profit world, one of my big tasks was to get as many people involved as possible. So we have six to seven times the number of supporters at ACF than we had five years ago. Um, that's 600,000 people figure is about to tip over 700,000 actually and we upgraded every 100,000 people um, <laughs> because everyone should feel like they can speak up and it's really taught me to not judge people for where they are but to talk to people about what they would like to see for the future and respect that and see how we can get to that better future together. Uh, and I've been lucky to work in government and business and the non-profit sector, which very few people get that opportunity. And I really respect the different ways we create change um, and we have different roles to do. Um, but um, I, I don't think the advocacy role is always appreciated, um, and particularly because we've only got 10 years to solve the climate problem and the extinction crisis is right on our doorstep as well. So it sort of taught me to respect people to, but push really hard for what we need because we all need a safe planet. It's from a practical point of view, and this, I guess, the recent bushfires uh, being a case in point are extremely polarising. You know, you've got this, particularly where, as soon as the word climate change gets mentioned, you end up with you know people moving into two camps. They feel like they're opposing camps, but I actually think they both want the same thing. In your role, how do, how do you juggle between... You know, obviously your supporters and your members and those that you're trying to, the advocacy, the people you're talking to, trying to get them to change their ways. How do you sort of, how do you bridge that gap? Yeah, well, I mean, one, uh, um, our supporters are average people, although no one thinks they're average, you know, but they are sort of everyday Australians. And it's, you know, we have people from the city and from the country and from all different um, professions uh, and from all around Australia. So we are very diverse, actually. And that's all happened in the last five years, that growth. 
um, and that diversity. And we've got a lot further to go. But I think the thing that works the best is to communicate to people through the values that they hold. So we don't try to get involved in political wedges or one-upmanship or trying to win the argument of the day. We are actually trying to say, this is the future that the evidence and science is telling us we're going towards, but this future or these types of futures is where we could go if we make things like renewable energy instead of coal power and gas-powered energy, if we uh, have an economy that actually um, returns value back to nature and to people as well as to shareholders. And there are ways that we can do things differently where everyone wins. And by actually talking about what those futures could look like, you kind of inspire people to be want to want to be a part of that. Now, I don't want to be all Pollyanna about this. We also have to run campaigns that stop bad things from happening. Um, the Adani coal mine, for example, we were and still are very prominent in that campaign. But this is um, one of the world's largest coal mines, opening up one of the world's um, last remaining coal basins. And in the era of climate change, you simply cannot do that and have a safe planet that people can live on. So sometimes we have to make choices. Um, and our job is to communicate that to people in a way that doesn't divide, but that excites people about what we could have instead and how that's going to be better for them, their kids, their jobs, their industries and economies, as well as community and nature. Yeah, I guess that's probably where that superpower comes in, where you're seeing through complexities of today to the future of tomorrow. And I, I agree with that. That whole looking forward. I mean, years ago, actually, not long after Al Gore came out with these inconvenient truths, um, you know, back in 2007, 2008. And I was doing uh, lots of community events talking about the science of climate change. I was working for CSIRO at the time. And uh, I recall one event, we had about 150 people and the, you know, the, the room was 50-50 divided on you know, cl climate change is just a natural phenomenon that's not caused by humans. And then the other, other group was, look, we really need to do this, this is really urgent. Uh, and so as an exercise, I actually split them in two groups and sent one group out of the room. And I said, okay, as a group, come up with the top five things you want in the future for your kids. And the other group in the other room, they got them to do the same thing. And when they came back in the room, they had exactly the same list. Uh, yet, they, yet they were willing to almost get into a punch-up over the science of climate change and their their position on that particular piece of evidence. Yet, they all wanted exactly the same future. So it was a, it was an interesting exercise. It's a really it's a hard one though because we could get an outcome on climate change by just talking about renewable energy and renewable energy be, being cheaper, for example, which it is now that days, but it's only just become cheaper. And the next climate action that we need to take is not necessarily going to be cheaper. And we're setting up the wrong frame. So sometimes you do the way that you've done that discussion is perfect to get people away from the divisiveness and towards what we want. And then we might get there differently, but we'll still get there. Rather, what we see often, often in politics up in Canberra at the moment is just the climate wars and big fights and it's not getting us anywhere. Um, and meanwhile, we, you know, we've got less and less time to uh, create the types of changes that we need to live on a safe planet. Yeah, agreed. So, so what's the role of business in all this? So one of the, I guess, key themes of this whole podcast is that this idea of profit and purpose can be aligned and that every business can actually be part of um, the solution to all these environmental social uh, issues that our communities are dealing with. What role do you see for business in, um, I guess, this you know, rapid transition that's going on out there at the moment? Yeah, I see that business is the key uh, entity that has got the capital that is required to change to create the changes we need. 
government certainly just don't have that level of investment um, required. And, you know, we have just cut in Australia the taxation base further, so there's even less money there. Um, and governments are really important to set the policies and the rules of the game, but it's going to be business that enact them. And then I see the role of community be very important in actually leading the way and saying we need, we want business and government to come in this direction um, because this direction is better for the future of our kids and our planet and our wildlife. And so I see business as absolutely key. It's probably important to note that we've been talking about sustainability since 1992 at the first um, Earth Summit in Rio. And since then, I've heard a lot from business that sustainability is about trading off our economy, our environment and social values and, and value. Um, whereas I've never, I've rejected that because if you walk into a room with a trade-off mentality, then you're just going to trade things off. And I can tell you the thing that's hard to touch, that's hard to feel, um, like nature, it's very difficult to see the decline of nature because it happens over the death of a thousand cuts. So poor old nature misses out on those. That's the thing that is traded off. So the way we've done business up until now has played a role in the extinction crisis that we face and the climate crisis that we face. But it doesn't have to be that way. And in the last few years, we're seeing real changes coming from business where business is saying, my sustainability plan and my business plan have to be the same thing. Mm. So it's not like a bank that goes digital in its bank statement but still invests in old growth forests or an energy company that has efficient lights but runs coal-fired power plants. Those sustainability plans and business plans are separate. What we're seeing is people saying, could we have, or businesses saying, could we have a purpose that returns value to nature, that returns value to people as well as returning value to our shareholders or to our owners and to our employees um, and customers? And I think the answer to that is yes. So when I think if if our Corporations Act was changed and we embedded in that uh, a responsibility to nature and to people, what type of businesses would we have into the future? I think we could achieve extraordinary things if um, businesses looked at their purpose beyond providing a service and, and receiving money in return for that service. So in the business that you're dealing with then, you, know, you mentioned this, you know, how do you, I mean, if you take a conventional and you know, the corporation's law 100% agree, right, at the moment, the directors of these companies, there is no legal uh, incentive for them other than risk management to look at environmental issues. I mean, what, what's the, how are you positioning the conversation around so let's take old growth forests that you mentioned before. Yeah, what's the value of it to an old growth forest to an organisation? How how does that position to in terms of creating value for both you know employees and customers and and the business? So this is why I think you have to create value that's beyond financial value because a forest is valued for the wood in the tree and that's pretty much it. It's not valued for the air it produces, the water it cleans, the biodiversity that it creates and, and the beauty that it beholds for us humans when we go and visit it. Those ecosystem services, as we call them, you know, we've been debating for decades and decades about what pricing value do you put on those or not. And there's lots of different camps on this. I do think that markets are a really important tool to create change, but like all markets, they need to have strong regulation and strong goals of what they're trying to achieve. So I would like to see, you know, an um, energy company talking about the value to its shareholders that's beyond the quarter or beyond the year or beyond the five years. 
because an energy company that does not move towards renewables will be an energy company that doesn't exist in a few years' time. And so even if you just look at through a financial value, there's really strong arguments to be had in companies, and we've been making those arguments for years. But I've got to say, a few years ago, I decided to not just talk in the language of money to companies. I've been doing it for 20 years. I'm sick of it. We've got the same outcome every time. People, when you talk about money, it puts it through that frame, through that value only. And every single CEO, a board director, shareholder is also a human being that loves their children, that loves nature, and that actually wants to feel good at the end of the day. And their their job in producing the products and services they produce does make people feel good. But the harm that's done to communities or nature in doing that makes people not feel so good. So if we could actually return value to nature in in ACF's case, you're going to feel really great in your job. And we know many examples of where welders, for example, have moved from an aluminium-making company over into a a, um, wind turbine um, manufacturing company. And the things they tell us at the end of the day, they feel good because they're producing something that is good for people and for the planet. So we shouldn't underestimate that. But So I think we've got to look beyond monetary value. Of course, that's key if you're a business owner. But for too many years, environmentalists have tried to convince business just on the money and we, are, we have a worse environment for it. So we've got to look every environmental de- indicator is essentially declining and we need to do things differently. So in your, so when you're dealing with these businesses or trying to get this mass change, what's, what do you think the biggest single challenge is that you're facing? Uh, people really don't like change. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think humans don't like change. I struggle with it myself because I quite like it. And I feel the resistance to change, whether you're within a industry or a business or within governments and parliaments and political parties trying to get people to change, it's really difficult. And we go back to the lowest common denominator always about the current situation. And that drag to how we do things now is so powerful and so pervasive in business and political decision-making and actually even NGO decision-making You know, at ACF, I've made a lot of change over five years with the staff and the board here. But, you know, there's a big drag back to what we've always been and how we've always done it. And that momentum you have to build to get over that requires a lot of work. So uh, I just think that that resistance to change and that lack of imagination about what we could have instead We talk about the climate crisis and what it's going to cost Australia if we act. That's a ridiculous question because it's going to, what's it going to provide for us? What future can we create? What jobs and industries can we create? What devastating damage can we avoid? Like we're asking the wrong questions because we're stuck in a resistance to change. Yeah. Have you learned any practical lessons on how to deal with that resistance? Well, yeah, I think, you know, sort of what I said, I've stopped talking in the language of finance and quarters and started talking about what the future could hold for us and how that could be better for the particular industry or business that you're speaking with and how how the community will see that because what we forget is that community sentiment around things like nature and climate are now number one in Australia and the community is also known as people who buy 
products, who work in your business, who vote for you, who own shares in your company. So we're all humans and we're all really worried about the climate and nature crisis. So there's a huge reason to act that's beyond finances. So I just try and excite people uh, around that. And to be honest, the laggards, we will hold to account. We will say, you know, what they do out in the public. I don't, I mean, shaming for me, some people would say that's shaming, but I don't see it that way I just say well you you're you're standing up for something I the evidence is saying that's really bad thing for our future for climate so I'm going to have a conversation about that in out in the world and I'm hoping that you're going to change your mind and you know what people people always change their mind it takes too long but people do move forward have you seen I guess with the the bushfires recently have you have you seen a shift do you think in the community yes so even before the bushfires you know in the last few years we've seen around 80 percent of australians uh, no matter where you live who you vote for how you take your cup of coffee in the morning are worried about climate change because they're seeing it now we're starting to see uh, that same impact on nature and particularly after the fires with the the death of so many animals and so many places that we love impacted. Um, but those shifts do go away unless you, you know, you really act on and build though, that momentum around it and actually say to people, okay, so we have a climate problem. We've, we've just experienced the bushfires, which are made worse from climate change. Very, We're very worried the Great Barrier Reef is about to bleach again. Um, we've seen floods um, when floods aren't supposed to exist and, and wet forests on fire and, um, you know, million dead fish in rivers. So we're, we're seeing the damage caused by decades of bad decisions on nature and climate change. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way and we can excite people around that different future, that better future. And if we don't, to be honest, the concern will turn into fear and yeah. fear turns into inaction. If we want action, we need to inspire people. We need to give them hope. We need to tell them how their actions create change and bring them together. That's kind of what we do at ACF. Yeah, agreed. So if there's someone out there listening right now who has been inspired by your passion and is wanting to get out there and do something, what's one piece of advice you give them? Well, I would just say just do it. You know, back yourself and do it. No matter where you are and where you're starting, just back yourself and start because it will snowball into huge um, momentum and action because this country is ready for huge momentum and action on issues such as nature protection and climate change. So the more people are just leaning into it and wanting to create a better future, just let it rip and the world will be better. Awesome. So if someone wanted to learn more uh, about or get, or get in touch with you or learn more about the Australian Conservation Foundation, what's the best way for them to connect? Well, they can always my, – my contact details are on our website at ACF and so – you can always drop me an email. And a good way to find out about ACF and what we do is have a quick look on our website and our big goals. They're big, <laughs> like we're <laughs> trying to change the world here. But that's kind of what we have to do to create a safe world. But also maybe follow us on Facebook because you get a bit of an idea of the tone that we use and the way that we try and excite people about the future, but also that courage and guts it takes to stand up when bad things are proposed and when we have to stand in the way of those. I'd much rather create a future than stand in the way of dumb stuff happening, but unfortunately there is still some very silly proposals happening. But people can find all that out by our website and uh, social media channels. All right, so let's wrap up with our Mad Minute. So it's five quick questions in 60 seconds, although... Um, I'll have to change it to five quick questions in probably 180 seconds because I don't think we've ever made 60 seconds. Anyway, so no pressure. All right. So what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? 
Well, my mum told me to be brave even when my legs shake when I was a little tacker, and I've never forgotten it. Uh, what is your favourite business book? So I don't read many business books. Uh, I learn by doing and learn from others, but I've loved this book called Cradle to Cradle. I'm sure many people have heard of it because it's a book about remaking the way we make stuff, and it thinks about things in a completely different way. And even the book itself is made from a recycled polymer with uh, ink that is non-toxic and 100% removable. So the book is made in a, in a different way than books were made back in those days before digital. That's very cool. I'll have, to, I'll have to see if I can find that one. I've certainly read lots of stuff on Cradle the Cradle, but not that particular book. And now I'm curious about the ink. I'll have to look it up. Uh, so what, when you're a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, well, I actually either wanted to be a vet or an environmentalist, um, but then I grew up in a town called Anarchy and my initials spell chaos. So I think it was <laughs> written in the tea leaves that I was going to be an environmentalist. Love that one. What's your favourite quote? Oh, um, after you will know this one because you've listened to Al Gore. Uh, after the final no, there comes a yes, and that yes uh, can change the world. And that quote actually is not from Al Gore, it's from a US poet called Wallace Stevens, but he uses it, Mr. Gore, and it just reminds me to keep asking because after the very last no comes a yes. And if you could go back in time and give your 20-year-old self some advice, what would it be? <laughs> Suitable for a podcast, um, I would say <laughs> be yourself. I think leaders and really good leaders are always questioning their impact on other people. And you can only ever be yourself. No one else knows how to be you, so you can only be yourself. And embrace your strengths, embrace your weaknesses, because if you round all your edges, you lose your edge. And I've always felt that your great strengths are the opposite to your weaknesses. So if you get rid of them, you, you lose your edge. Um, so be yourself because no one else can. Yeah, I think that's great advice and great advice for businesses too, I think. Um, because the in the world of uh, people being inundated with social media and marketing messages, um, authenticity shines through uh, every cuts through every single time. So uh, it's really important. Absolutely. So that's it. Thanks for uh, look. We love love what you guys are doing. Uh, I think it's a really important mission you're on. Um, I guess you're like the rot wheelers of the the conservation world, constantly constantly chasing after the um, uh, the bad guys to chase them away. Uh, but also uh, protecting all the good guys as well. So uh, I think it's a, an important mission. So appreciate your time and uh, thanks for being on the Good Business Podcast. You're welcome. Lovely to speak to you. So that episode just goes to show you what you can achieve if you unite people behind an idea. Now, if you have trouble getting people to unite behind your idea, make sure you get our free ebook on selling sustainability that will give you a step-by-step -step guide on how to actually talk to people about your idea so they want to be part of it. The guide is available with the show notes at www.bluetribe.co forward slash podcast. Also, if you like today's episode, make sure you leave us a rating. And if you haven't already, click that subscribe button. Coming up in the next episode. I set out with the goal that we would be part of people's hope budgets and hopefully empower them to set out to make a difference in their local communities and ultimately our global community because at the end of the day, we're all connected. Our guest in the next episode is on a mission to bring you good news about great solutions that address many of the social and environmental challenges in our communities by building an international news source focused on reporting in sustainability, environmental advocacy, corporate social responsibility and climate change. Well, that's it for another episode of the Good Business Podcast. I'm James McGregor. I'll catch you in the next episode.